I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Here we are on the ninth day of Christmas. Yes, I'm not letting go of the Christmas music yet. Hope you're not either. Uh, This is the time where we get to shine in the fact that we are not like the rest of the world, right? We are going to celebrate the calendar our own way. Uh, We keep our Christmas decorations up all the way, not just through Epiphany, the 12 days of Christmas, but all the way to the baptism of the Lord, which this year falls on January 10th. Resist. You can say, I'm not procrastinating. I'm just celebrating the liturgical calendar. Well, we got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking with Sam Rocha later in the show. He's the editor of the Catholic Channel over on the Pathios Blog Network. Uh, he is an author. He's a, a professor. He's a musician. And uh, he's a father. We're going to be talking with him some about that as well today. Uh, lots of fun still to be had. But as always, we're going to start our time together in prayer, in scripture, and in a reading from church history. So let's begin. Our Savior was adored by the Magi. Let us also worship him with joy as we pray, Light from light, shine on us this day. Christ, you revealed yourself in the flesh. Sanctify us through prayer and the word of God. Christ, your witness was the Spirit. Free our lives from the spirit of doubt. Christ, you revealed yourself to the angels. Help us to feel the joy of heaven on earth. Christ, you were proclaimed to the nations by the power of the Holy Spirit. Open the hearts of all. Christ, you generated faith in the world. Renew the faith of all believers. Christ, you were taken up in glory. Enkindle in us a longing for your kingdom. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, you revealed your Son to the nations by the guidance of a star. Lead us to your glory in heaven by the light of faith. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Today we are doing the readings of today. I know it's been a while since we've done that. We've uh, been skipping to the Sunday because we've had so many great feasts that have occurred uh, sometime in the week a little bit later. Uh, But this week, the big feast was yesterday, the octave of Christmas and the solemnity of Mary, the Mother of God. And so today we're going to do today's reading. Uh, Today is the memorial of St. Basil the Great and Gregory Nanzianzen, both of whom were bishops and doctors of the church. Today's first reading comes from the book of 1 John, chapter 2. Beloved, who is the liar? Whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Whoever denies the Father and the Son, this is the Antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son does not have the Father. But whoever confesses the Son has the Father as well. Let what you heard from the beginning remain in you. 
If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made us, eternal life. I write you these things about those who would deceive you. As for you, the anointing that you received from him remains in you, so that you do not need anyone to teach you. But his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and not false. Just as it taught you, remain in him. And now, children, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be put to shame by him at his coming. That reading comes from the book of 1 John, chapter 2. Our responsorial psalm today comes from Psalm 98. All the ends of the earth have seen the saving power of God. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wondrous deeds. His right hand has won victory for him, his holy arm. All the ends of the earth have seen the saving power of God. The Lord has made his salvation known in the sight of the nations. He has revealed his justice. He has remembered his kindness and his faithfulness toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the saving power of God. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation by our God. Sing joyfully to the Lord, all you lands. Break into song. Sing praise. All the ends of the earth have seen the saving power of God. Our gospel today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to him to ask him, Who are you? He admitted and did not deny it, but admitted, I am not the Christ. So they asked him, What are you then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? So we can give answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say for yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the desert, Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Some Pharisees were also sent. They asked him, Why do you baptize if you were not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but there is one among you whom you do not recognize, the one who is coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. This happened in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. That reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Our reading from church history today is going to come from a commentary on the Gospel of John by St. Cyril of Alexandria. In a plan of surpassing beauty, the creator of the universe decreed the renewal of all things in Christ. In his design for restoring human nature to its original condition, he gave a promise that he would pour out on it the Holy Spirit, along with his other gifts. For otherwise our nature could not enter once more into the peaceful and secure possession of those gifts. He therefore appointed a time for the Holy Spirit to come upon us, This was the time of Christ's coming. He gave this promise when he said, In those days, that is, in the days of the Savior, I will pour out a share of my Spirit on all mankind. When the time came for this great act of unforced generosity, which revealed in our midst the only begotten Son clothed with flesh on this earth, a man born of woman, in accordance with the Holy Scripture, 
God the Father gave the Spirit once again. Christ, as the first fruits of our restored nature, was the first to receive the Spirit. John the Baptist bore witness to this when he said, I saw the Spirit coming down from heaven, and it rested upon him. Christ received the Spirit insofar as he was man, and insofar as man could receive the Spirit. He did so in such a way that though he is the Son of God the Father, begotten of his substance even before the Incarnation, indeed before all ages, yet he was not offended at hearing the Father say to him, after he had become man, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. The Father says of Christ, who was God, begotten of him before all ages, that he was begotten today. For the Father is to accept us in Christ as his adopted children. The whole of our nature is present in Christ, insofar as he is man. So the Father can be said to give the Spirit again to the Son, though the Son possesses the Spirit as his own, in order that we may receive the Spirit in Christ. The Son, therefore, took to himself the seeds of Abraham, as Scripture said, and became like his brothers in all things. The only begotten Son received the Spirit, but not for his own advantage, for the Spirit is his, and is given in him and through him, as we have already said. He receives it to renew our nature in its entirety, and to make it whole again. For in becoming man, he took our entire nature to himself. If we reason correctly, and use also the testimony of Scripture, we can see that Christ did not receive the Spirit for himself, but rather for us in him. For it is also through Christ that all gifts come down to us. That reading from church history comes from a commentary on the Gospel of John by St. Cyril of Alexandria. Well, it's that time of year where we're focused on receiving and giving gifts, right? Here we are. We're right in the middle of the Christmas season. Uh, don't put away your Christmas records yet or your wreaths or anything else. You know, so many times uh, everyone's taken down their Christmas decorations like on Christmas Day or the day after Christmas. Oh, well, Christmas is over. Time to pack it all up. And that's because people have been celebrating their own picture of Christmas all the way, really, uh, if you look at the stores, all the way since Halloween, right? Not even, not even letting All Saints Day kind of set in. No, just immediately jumping to Christmas. Uh, people are already, the radio stations are already playing Christmas music. And so by the time that Christmas rolls around, we're really kind of sick of it. Uh, but this is not the time to give up. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. No, keep that music rolling. Uh, celebrate the birth of Christ. Uh, you know, the church has given us not just the 12 days of Christmas. Yeah, this is more than the partridge in a pear tree, right? The church has given us all the way through the baptism of the Lord, which is going to be the week, the Sunday following uh, Epiphany. So this year, that's on January 10th. You've got all that time to really let the, the fullness of, of the incarnation sink in. So something that we're doing in our family is we are singing every night. We have our bedtime routine, right? We gather the kids together and we sing a song together, whatever that song would be. During the year, we have probably two or three standards that we cycle between. And then we say a prayer and we bless the children. And uh, sometimes we'll do Compline together because that's a really short prayer. And then we all go to bed. Well, during Advent, we do the Advent readings. We do the readings of every day uh, from Scripture 
right, that the church has given us, and we light our Advent candles, and we sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel every night, to the fact that my not-yet-two-year-old uh, knows certain syllables and the, the appropriate time to sing them, right? So we get to rejoice, rejoice, and he's got that word down, uh, because there's a, a rhythm to it. There's a, a certain uh, repetition that really lets it sink in. And that's what the church gives us here now that we're in the Christmas season, is time to let the repetition of the celebration of Christmas sink in. So for us now, during the Christmas season, we have two or three different Christmas carols that we'll sing. We've got Silent Night or Away in a Manger or Joy to the World, which doesn't really seem like a good night song, but the kids really like it and they know it. So there you have it. I got uh, I got outvoted, I guess. But the tr- we have such beautiful carols that teach us the depths of the, the knowledge of the incarnation, right? And, and this is accessible even to small children. They're learning uh, about the incarnation. And this is something we're going to be talking about with our guest in just a moment, is the power of music to really cement ideas, to go before even uh, our, our analysis of these deep ideas, is really appropriating the, the music and appropriating the, the hymnody, the, the, the poetry of the carols in a way that it becomes easily recallable as we get older and as we get to a place where we can think about the depths of the incarnation. So I encourage you, even if you're not a very good singer, right? This is Christmas. Everyone allows for it. Uh, sing some Christmas carols in these remaining days of Christmas with your kids. You can look them up online. There's plenty of places where you can find carol lyrics online. Uh, and sing away in a manger, sing what child is this, sing angels we have heard on high, and really allow these songs to begin to inform who you are and inform your your understanding of Christ's incarnation, God becoming man for us. Wow, what an amazing, amazing, uh, unfathomable thing. Well, we're going to be coming back just after this break and talking with Sam Rocha. He is the editor for the Catholic Channel on the Patheos Blog Network. He's a professor, an author, a musician, and more. Stick around. It's going to be a great interview. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Stick around. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking through the break. Got a great show for you today. On this uh, well, ninth day of Christmas, we're talking with Sam Rocha. Uh, he's a little bit of everything. Uh, he says that he's NAFTA incarnate. Is that right? <laughs> That's right. So he, Mexico, America, and Canada. He, yeah, you said that you were a Texican in your bio, but really, I think that you're a Texa-Canadian. Uh, because... well, we'll see if I get permanent residence or not. <laughs> so you're, <laughs> Sam, you're an assistant professor of philosophy of education, rather specific, uh, at the University of British Columbia. Uh, you're the new editor of the Pathios, uh, the Catholic channel on the Pathios blog. Uh, That's right. Taking over Elizabeth Scalia's place. And, and just, a, we get a lot of our, really a lot of our speakers from the Pathios network, a lot of great folks over there writing about the yeah. Catholic faith from their oh, perspective. Yeah. 
You're also an author, got a brand new book called Folk Phenomenology that we're going to get to just a little bit later. And uh, your third CD is out now called Fear and Loving, correct? It is It is uh, moving from that, that, that last stage of mastering to, uh, to licensing, but it'll be out very, very soon. All right. Well, we will make sure to... Uh, to let everyone know when that occurs on our social media. Uh, I've gotten a chance to listen to just a couple of snippets and it's one you're going to want to pay attention to. You can also find, you've got some of those clips up on YouTube as well. Am I correct? That's right. Yeah. There's, there's quite a few and I'm going to be doing more and more videos of that. Great. Now uh, I wanted to, to talk to you. Uh, Here we are on the eighth day of Christmas, ninth day of Christmas. Yesterday was the octave. Uh, Everyone's like, Oh yeah, it's new year's. Oh gosh. New year's (laughs) happened back at advent. That, yeah, that's right. Yesterday was the uh, Christ the King. Right. That was we're yeah. we're way past New Year's. Right now we're on the the ninth day of Christmas. Right. It's it's all good. We had the the solemnity yesterday. Hope you made it to mass because it was a uh, holy day of obligation. But I wanted to talk with you. You also, in addition to all of your other things, you're a father. Uh, yeah. And yeah. you you're dealing with with three children and Christmas time. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just was curious as to. What are some of the specific traditions, being such a diverse person as you are, what are some of the traditions that you bring into your home over the Christmas season? Oh, thank you. This is actually a great way to, to talk about the headier things about, because, I mean, yeah, if, uh, uh, someone asked Louis Armstrong one time what kind of music he played, and he said, I play folk music. I play music for folks. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and there's a sense in which... Um, folk ways of, of life and tradition. I mean, this is what liturgy is, is, is to me in some sense. And so what we do at home as a domestic church is it really plays into that. Uh, one of the things that we do is, uh, we really try to mark out Advent as, as something real and something important. And, um, and we do that in both some positive ways with the Advent wreath, with an Advent calendar, by celebrating the various feasts that occur during Advent. You know, St. Nicholas, uh, we have, you know, the kind of traditional Central European approach there coming from my wife's Polish background. And the, our, the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe, obviously, is a big one for me right. from, from my Mexican background. Um, but there's also some things we don't do, which are probably as important for Advent as anything else Um as a season of anticipation, we don't decorate our Christmas tree, nor do we call it a Christmas tree. We call it an Advent tree during Advent. Mm -hmm. And we just put up a star and some very simple white lights, but no decorations. And so the Advent tree becomes the Christmas tree. We decorate it together either just before, just after the the, the vigil mass on on, on Christmas on the 24th. Um, On Christmas proper, you know, I I grew up in a in 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 a tradition in which uh, for a lot of Latin Americans uh, gifts are shared on Epiphany, um, the feast of the Magi, because that's when Jesus gets his presence, right? Okay. And there's yeah. Kind of, and so um, at the same time, though, I think there's a sense in which Christ is the gift to us. So he might not get his presence, but we certainly get one with with the feast of the Nativity and the Incarnation. So I um. Uh, I'm a both and guy, so so we so we give uh, so our, our our children will get um, uh, uh, they'll open up one present on Christmas Eve to kind of mark out the fact that after the vigil it, it is Christmas, uh, Advent is over, um, and then on Christmas Day, Christmas morning, they also um, uh, get you know to open some presents, um, and then throughout the Christmas season we try to do some special things um, on on the Feast of the Holy Family. We took our children to go see Cirque du Soleil, the Cusa uh, Cirque du Soleil show. Mm-hmm. as uh, one of their presents. And then on Epiphany, they kind of open up, you could say, probably the larger quantity of gifts 
on that day. Uh, and, and, and of course they do it in kind of a symbolic sense of that. We also use our nativity set in a very intentional way. We try to, at least, um, we have an open nativity set during Advent. They haven't arrived yet on mm. Christmas. We actually have uh, a, a ritual just in our house that we do where we lay the, the child down in Spanish is called acostar el niño, which is very Mexican. Mm. We also have a very Polish tradition of a potek, which is a kind of Almost, if they're almost looks like uh, hosts, they're not consecrated. Um, that you share and you kind of air, uh, uh, kind of forgive each other for the past year. It's kind of like a New Year's, Christmas kind of Polish okay. tradition. Um, and then throughout the time of uh, be- leading up to Epiphany, the Magi are traveling through our house. So they, they move every day, you know, they get closer to the, to the Christ child. It's like a, the gifts. It's, a, it's a prototype of the elf on the shelf. Every day it's something different. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But hopefully this one has a little bit more uh, substance to it. That's right. So those are just some things. Okay. Now, you know, we, we've done something similar, but not nearly as, as in depth. So let's say that you've got someone's attention and they've, they've right. heard uh, some of what you do. Well, what are some resources and places that people can go to find out some of those traditional practices of Christmas so that next year as they're getting ready to, to celebrate again the birth of Christ, they can begin to bring in some of those traditional, uh, maybe not even uh, local, but worldwide practices for celebrating that season of Christmas. Yeah, you know, um, one of the places, um, and I'll send you the links that you can share. I, I did a post a few years ago at, at Patheos called The Educational Significance of Advent. Mm-hmm. And I actually have, I think, six um, of these six tips um, for how to do this, including the unadorned tree and advent calendars and stuff like that. So I'll send you that resource. The other thing, too, is and this is really important to me, much more than that list uh, of things, is the um, the ability to, to, to find one's own uh, cultural heritage um, in the United States. Um, it's a Protestant nation in many ways, and it doesn't really have a, a, a cultural um, uh, uh, ability to celebrate Christmas. I think that's part of what's missing in the Christmas wars, right? Mm-hmm. Is that it's kind of always already Protestant in many ways. So I think a lot of those who come from Latin American heritage, from European heritage, whether it's Western Europe or you know Central Europe, um, obviously Russian. I mean, every culture I think out there within sort of you know the Christendom um, has some very unique and particular expressions of of, of Christmas, even different. Em- emphases, right? A lot of cultures uh, of you could call the old world really put the emphasis on the 24th, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, for, 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 for Mexicans, for instance, I mean, you would almost think that the Feast of the Incarnation was the 24th. You f- forget almost that it's a vigil. Right. Um, and so uh, I think that, you know, finding that, so like for my, for my, for my wife, you know, her, her heritage is, is, is Polish, Ukrainian, Czech. Uh, I found that there's a beautiful folklore there, um, to make sense of Christmas. And we try to integrate that in as intentional and traditional way as we can, both honoring who she is as a person, but also, um, our heritage, our collected, you know, collective family ancestry related to that. And the same goes for the Mexican, uh, thing. Although I would say our lady of Guadalupe isn't exclusive to Mexican. She's the She's the mother of the Americas, so right. everyone has access to that, whether it seems that way or not. And um, you know, and I think I think then the only other thing is to be intentional. I wouldn't worry actually so much about finding the right resource. I would just 
say, try every season to be more intentional and maybe even improvise a bit. You know, I mean, uh, our whole Advent tree thing isn't one that I'm aware of, at least coming from any particular place, but it's just a way that we're trying to teach our children. Because really what, what what this does for us as parents is, and as you mentioned at the intro, you know, being a father, is it's really about us taking seriously that catechism claim that the Catholic Church believes that parents are the first and primary educators of their children. Mm-hmm. This is really the what I consider to be kind of the the real education happening, you know, for our kids during this time. The liturgy is meant to, to educate us as much as anything. Yeah. You know, in our family, we do something very similar. We put up uh, in that first week of Advent, we put up all the greens that are not living, right? The Mm. Um, the the garlands and whatever else that we have. Uh, and then in the second week of Advent, we go and we buy the tree and we leave it bare. And then the third week, the Gaudate week, the joy week is the week that mm. we put the lights on it and we put the decorations on it. Uh, and then we, I don't, I don't know if there's anything new that we add the fourth week. So maybe that's something <laughs> we need to consider. Uh, yeah. But this idea, I, I want to seize on this idea that you had, because I know people are like, it's past Christmas already. Why are we talking about this? No, no, it's not. We are on the ninth day of Christmas, uh, the Christmas season. Some people say it goes to Epiphany, but in the church liturgical year, it actually goes all the way to the baptism of the Lord, which is the following Sunday. This year, it's January 10th. That's, that's uh, right. You can leave everything up until then. And the reason that you are are thinking, hey, quit talking about Christmas is because Christmas uh, we've been talking about Christmas in the culture and society since, yeah. uh, since October 31st before, right. before yeah. all saints. Uh, yeah. and so we get so road weary, but we have to also remember that what they're talking about as Christmas isn't Christmas, right? There's a, there's a certain consumerism and materialism that, that really attempts to take over Christmas any more than any war on Christmas quote unquote, right. so-called could ever do. Yeah, no, no, that, that's, that's right. No, I think that's exactly, you know, I mean, look, I mean, Coca-Cola invented Santa Claus, right? Santa Claus. But of course, Coca-Cola had the very Catholic insight that you don't just invent from nothing. You invent from this old world mythological religious tapestry of St. Nicholas and, and, and colors. And so, so, I mean, I, I think on the one hand, it's important to, 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 to distinguish between the, the secular American consumerist Coca-Cola Christmas and the Catholic one. On the other hand, I would say though, and this is something I've struggled with is it's also important not to become joyless because of it. Right. So, so, so for me, the, the thing that's most important that, that my children see, I believe is the hope of Advent and the joy of Christmas. Mm. And and so for for me it's as much about the the concrete things that we can do, but it's also about as a father, as as a slightly you could say kind of you know Catholic that's almost become you know Catholic nerd you could say Catholic geek <laughs> um, that that my geekiness about the consistency and the symmetry and the, this is Christmas and that isn't Christmas doesn't begin to feel countercultural in the sense of being cranky or being upset or being feeling persecuted or whatever. I always want to make sure that the first things my children understand is that Advent is a season of hope and that Christmas is a season of joy. Yeah. And, and everything has to fall within that. Join this conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls. Let us know what you think. Joy to the world. The Lord is let earth receive her king. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls in our conversation with Sam Rocha. 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. Thanks for sticking around. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and we're talking with Sam Rocha here this Christmas season. Raise, raise a song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Yes, our bumper music is still Christmas because it is still the Christmas season. Don't throw away all your Christmas decorations yet. Don't pack them away. We're here on the ninth day of Christmas. We still have quite a bit to go. Uh, If you're one of those people that loves the season, guess what? You get to keep everything up. Keep singing those Christmas carols. Bug everyone in the store. We're talking today with Sam Rocha. Uh, He is a... Uh, a professor, a musician, an author, an editor, a father, and much more. Uh, I have a, an awful joke, um, and I apologize for this in advance. But I was curious if your wife is is a joyful person, if if she's <laughs> is, is, is she Mary? Yeah. Because I I wanted to know if I could refer to you as the professor and Mary Ann. <laughs> so, uh, so you and your wife uh, Ann, you've got three kids. Yeah. What are their ages? Uh, the oldest is nine, and mm-hmm. then seven, and then two is our youngest. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're, we've in the last pr- section we were talking about Christmas traditions, and and I want to take that into your book now, your book mm. Folk Phenomenology. Mm. Uh, you are a philosopher by trade. Uh, you're yeah. teaching in a very narrow swath of philosophy, the philosophy of education. But mm-hmm. I, you know, I I'm interested in that, you know, most people hear philosophy and, and they don't necessarily know what that means or all that entails because it's become such a broad uh, world, that philosophical right. world. And yet the language of theology is the language of philosophy. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, it, you know, you, you had Tertullian, who was a, a church father. He wasn't too fond of philosophy. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he would say, uh, what has Athens to do with Jerusalem, right? What is... Mm-hmm. What does the, the philosophical center of the world have to do with the land of, of Jesus Christ, the place of mm-hmm. his death? But then you have Augustine, who you were very right. fond of, yes. uh, who, who brought in Platonism, brought in Plato. And then you had St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, a few centuries later, really co-opt and customize the work of Aristotle. And he got Aristotle, by the way, from the Arabs. Yeah, uh, Averroes uh, came into the Iberian Peninsula with these powerful ideas that had been preserved not in Greek or in Latin or in any of the uh, the Western languages, but in Arabic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so here we have now much of our theology, if not most of our theology, is written in the language of philosophy. And, That's right. And so philosophy is something that I encourage I encourage you all to maybe delve into, tiptoe into, because it is a it's a new way of thinking. It's thinking about thinking, right? Mm-hmm. But in your work, Sam, you've taken thinking about thinking to a, a new, maybe a new level. Uh, you're looking at the order of knowledge. Uh, and that's something I find very interesting. And I think that it plays into the way that you are introducing this kind of knowledge to your children, this knowledge of the faith. Uh, you, right. men- you mentioned something to me earlier that art precedes... Metaphysics. Art precedes metaphysics. And of course, metaphysics, for those who don't know what that term is, is that's the understanding of, of being. Right. 
So talk a little bit about that process. Sure. Um, so this claim is a claim that I would say is both a, a, a philosophical claim, that is to say it's a claim, it's something I think. Um, it's also a philosophical claim in the historical sense that I think it's, it's, it's something that can be uh, deduced from uh, a particular kind of Hellenic uh, approach to philosophy. It's also, I would say, though, an educational claim, precisely for the reasons you noticed and, and mentioned. You know, whenever we look at, at churches, they're not only supposed to be beautiful to, to, to pay reverence and homage to God, there's also perhaps more practical educational reasons for why churches have art in them, mainly because long before literacy can be assumed, and certainly at a certain point when literacy couldn't be assumed, um, those pictures and those stained glass windows and those colors and those images and those scents and those sounds and those words that get spoken over and over in repetition, mm -hmm. they're not just supposed, uh, they're supposed to do many things, but one of their roles is to educate us to teach us the stories, to teach us the dispositions. Um, uh, it actually goes far deeper than pedagogy into something called mystagogy, mm -hmm. which is the continued initiation into the mystery of Christ. Um, so when we say we proclaim the mystery of our faith, uh, or let us proclaim the mystery of our faith, um, that proclamation is built on this kind of educational foundation that we're always in. So um, you'll notice, though, that 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 the that the windows and the crucifix and the altar and the symbols and the icons and the smoke and all that stuff doesn't work itself out in argument. Hmm. It doesn't work itself out in claims. It doesn't show through logic. It shows through the, you could say, the appearance that only art has a capacity to give, which is to show. And so um, my, my claim in this book is that um, whereas a great deal of philosophy sees metaphysics as first philosophy, that in fact this, um, this, this is, a, this is uh, um, too late uh, uh, of an understanding of first philosophy, that first philosophy really comes to us in, 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 in long before prose in the form of poetry, in the form of song, in the form of verse, uh, in the form of, of, you could say, the image, the icon. So, uh, so that's a claim that I think has both big things to say about um, uh, the history of philosophy, big things to say about maybe metaphysics per se, but I also think it has really uh, important things to say about how we understand um, the educational significance of liturgy uh, and really what education itself is. Right. You know, you, you brought this up earlier uh, off air. You talked about you being baptized into this philosophy before you really understood it. And in a way, I'm getting that this is what art does for us, because before we can even think about thinking, which is what philosophy is, we're shaped right. by the things we take in. We're shaped That's by the liturgy. We're shaped by these, uh, these things of art that kind of uh, guide our souls. And, and in that way, it's not something that we chose in the same way as That's baptism right. is, and, and yet it, right. it produces a profound effect on us. That's exactly right. It also makes art, art dangerous in all the ways that, that one could imagine uh, whenever, you know, uh, but, but I, 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 I would maintain myself as something of an intuitionist in the most basic sense, in that I, uh, I find compelling the fact that before every thought there is an intuition, that there's a sentimental and affective domain that sort of 
pushes us into reason. Uh, and even after reason, it, it remains or it changes or it moves. And so to me, whenever Augustine, for instance, places the primacy of the heart over the head, whenever um, we see Christ talk in stories, not in disputations right. or even in apologetics, Christ was an apologist. He was first and foremost a storyteller. He said, the kingdom of God is like, and then he'd tell this story, right? Um, and of course, he was also a rabbi. He was a teacher, which means he was educating through those stories. So for me, um, what this uh, uh, this disposition to philosophy is through phenomenology is really a tradition that I think really reinvigorated philosophy with the sense that maybe Descartes didn't have everything right. Maybe we don't, maybe thinking isn't the only thing we have to think about. Perhaps there are things that are before thought itself mm -hmm. that, that take us to it. So when we look at the very word philosophy, it's about wisdom, yes, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, Sophia, but it's also about love. Mm -hmm. and, and love, of course, is something, um, it's, 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 it's something more fundamental, I would claim, even than wisdom here. And so, so my work and the work of phenomenology within the tradition I work in is really uh, passionate about the passions, um, is, is really interested in trying to think not only about thinking, but even of, of that which cannot be thought hmm. of. Right? Now, let, let's talk a little bit, because art is dangerous in all the ways that we can imagine. Oh, well, of course. Let's talk about this in a moment. Uh, in terms of the things that we that we consume, whether it be media, whether it be movies, whether it be books, what what things are we feeding our soul? We tend to think of them as harmless entertainment, and yet right. there's a very real sense in which now some things are neutral, but there's a really very real sense in which some of the things that we consume will end up consuming us. Sure, I mean uh, this is this is to me sort of one of the the harder practical. Uh, implications of of that really big claim. I mean, uh, let me he here try and be very careful though, because um, if you want to read a great book about this, I mean, Augustine's Confessions again, you know, my go-to. Mm -hmm. He talks a lot about the ways in which he was influenced. So the whole story of him and his friends stealing pears, he he ends he ends up coming out of that meditation as saying, "Well, I was influenced by my desire for friendship and ultimately for love." To, uh, to he wanted to be cool, right? So he w ran out and stole pears. Um, a pretty perennial story, I think. Um, mm -hmm. On the one hand, we want to say that yeah, you know, art can consume us, but I think Augustine reminds us of the fact that even if art does consume us in this negative way, it'll never lose the 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 ero the, the, the rooted principle in in that in the fact that that we can dig at the sort of accidental properties of the consumption and find that it's something good, right? Mm -hmm. So so for me, for instance, whenever I, I hear people say that, you know, art is terrible or some people, uh, present company included, say that pop music, you know, is is predictable and easy. My, my reaction is generally to say, yeah, that's true, but what's the essence of that? Where can we find um, the, the principle that gives us, that tells us sort of a, a hint of what's good about this? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's also something that art can do, that even when art... Uh, is dangerous. It's never dangerous to the point of an of annihilation. It's never dangerous to the point of total hopelessness. It always has a, uh, something inside of it that I think gives us uh, uh, an image of, of of God somewhere. 
Fascinating topic. Join the conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. There's still more interview to come. We're going to talk about his brand new album, Fear and Loving, just after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. We're talking today with Sam Rocha. Got a brand new album out. We're going to be giving that away here in just a moment. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. If you've missed any part of this interview, you can catch it over on our archives over at Outside the Walls. Of course, we've talked about a lot of things all in this thread of what it means to know things and how we can appropriate that knowledge. So Sam, thank you again for being on the show. It's a just a pleasure to have you here. Hey, thanks so much. It's great to be here too. So we're talking about folk phenomenology, which is the name of your new book. It's also the name of a track on your new album uh, called right. Fear and Loving. Comes out here very soon. We're just waiting on technology. Yeah, that's basically it. So your last album, uh, Late to Love, was an album that was derived from the writings of St. Augustine. What's the basis of this album that's coming out, uh, Fear and Loving, and what are you wanting to accomplish with it? Sure. I think all my music uh, can be understood as folk if you sort of uh, kind of give me the uh, the ability to kind of just assert that. This album, I, I tried to sort of... Um, uh, show a bit more the sense in which my music is is folk but also not just in the one of my problems with some of the ways we think of folk music is we think of folk music as uh traditional mm-hmm. i think folk music is in some sense traditional but i also think folk, folk music is sort of the most radical in some sense it's the kind of music that can actually break from tradition mm-hmm. um one quick example um hymns and in uh, uh folk music you often think that because it's the same everywhere everyone can sing it the same but if you ever try to sing a folk song, you know, like Alabare uh, in, in, in Latin America, it's almost impossible to sing it from place to place because everyone sings it just that differently. <laughs> and they'll never let go of that small difference. And it creates chaos, right? <laughs> There's something radically unrepeatable about folk music to me. Um, and so this this album was an attempt to do that. So one of the ways I did it to make that repetitious lack of repetition uh, clear is every track is a different soundscape. Mm-hmm. So in every track, I actually went out live with uh, Zoom H6 and set up shop and recorded it in a different soundscape. So you're not in a studio where everything is sonically consistent and the same. You're actually moving through Vancouver and Bellingham, Washington. You're in a forest, you're in an ocean, you're in a parking garage, you're in someone's back porch, you know, doing that. And so, um, and then the actual songwriting was um, something I did differently was I actually got two poets to uh, help me out with uh, two of the lyrical contents for, for two of the tracks. And, um, and then for myself, I tried to be intentional about some of the themes. And then I also used some accompaniment that I haven't used before. For example, I have theremin on the first and final track. I also played on a steel string acoustic guitar, a Martin triple O 17. So it does have that kind of folky shimmer of, of, uh, acoustic guitar. I paid a little bit of a nod to the finger style tradition. I'm so fond of with two instrumental tracks that are actually one track that I took into two different directions. Um, 
So yeah, it, I wouldn't call it a hodgepodge, but I would say that it's probably a more concept album than my Augustine album, precisely in the sense that it was it, the form is the concept, mm-hmm. much more than the content. Uh, whereas with the Augustine album, the form was was basically a Motown studio uh, power trio album. Uh, yeah. In this case, though, the form was really pushing it. Well, let's give a copy of this away. Uh, what I want to do is. Um, I want you out there to go to facebook.com slash step outside the walls or Twitter, the handles at outside the walls. And I want you to tell me uh, one tradition that if you didn't do this thing, it wouldn't be Christmas in your house. Uh, that something so fundamental to your celebration of Christmas, since we're talking about what is folk and what is um, uh, local to a, a person's own context. Wh- what is folk for you about Christmas? What would it be with Without this tradition, it wouldn't be Christmas for you. Share that with us. And from the people who share, uh, we're going to give away this album, Fear and Loving. Uh, As soon as it comes out, we'll send you a code for a digital download. uh, And you will get to enjoy it and uh, experience the the multiple soundscapes from parking garage to uh, to airport landing strip to, uh, you know, it's quite an eclectic album. Uh, so here in this little bit of time left, let's talk about the power of music. Uh, you know, mm. when we when we go into mass, when we the songs that we sing, they shape us and they form us, and they, you know, you remember lyrics, you remember music more than you remember anything else, right? Uh, That's right. If I were to say in West Philadelphia, born and raised, the rest of the song is in your head. You've got it. <laughs> uh, and so That's right. there's this power to music that I think that we often overlook and we think, oh, well, this is a nice song. So talk just a little bit about that in the remaining oh, minute or so that we have left. Well, I mean, I think there's a, there's a very uh, uh, medieval and even ancient idea that the cosmos itself is singing, mm-hmm. that, the, that, that the real itself, the world as it were, um, is resonating with divine music. Um, and of uh, there's even been some really out there uh, physicists and astronomers who make suggestions that that claim might be scientifically true. I don't know anything about that stuff. All I do know is, though, that there is something deep in the human heart and deep in the human condition that has not only a an appreciation for song but a longing for it. Um, nothing, I don't think, can move the human spirit quite like music can. Um, and this is a comparison to all the all the fine arts. And so to me, uh, it speaks to the fact that I think being Catholic isn't just about being part of a theological tradition, but it's also being part of, a, of, a, of an anthropology that really gets down to just the most basic, most primal, um, and most fundamental aspects of the human condition. And it has something to say about that, but also participates in it. And so I think the importance of music and song, especially in liturgy, is its ability to elevate the soul or <laughs> in cases where things don't match up to sometimes confuse, you know, the soul or the intuitions. Um, and, and that confusion I think is a really dangerous one because it's out of step and out of joint with that large cosmic Catholic anthropology that we have inherited over the ages. Sam, thank you for being on the show. Such a pleasure to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me again. Well, that's all the time we have this week. Until next week, keep track of what we're doing over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls, on Twitter the handle's at Outside the Walls, and continue this conversation throughout the week. 
Outside the Walls is a co-production of Breadbox Media and St. Michael Radio, heard around the world on terrestrial radio, live streaming, and podcast. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.